a brand new episode of the Happy Productive Podcast is about to begin. It's time to be inspired by simple and actionable solutions for you and your business. If you're an established entrepreneur or just laying down the first brick of your future empire, the mantra is the same. We will flip any failure into a positive and use it to our advantage. This show is all about turning coal into diamonds. With the right plan and mindset, anything is possible. I'm Jennifer John, your host, business coach, and founder of Best Planner Ever. And I'm here to help you achieve all your ambitious goals. Success is closer than you think. Let's do this. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of the Happy Productive Podcast. I think that you're just going to so enjoy my guest today, Miss Elaine Popelt, and she is an independent journalist who specializes in entrepreneurship. She's the author of The Million Dollar One Person Business and Tiny Business Big Money. Who can't get on board with that? Her work has been featured on CNBC, Forbes, Money, and in Fortune magazines. And Elaine, welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jennifer. It's great to be here. Yeah, I just am so excited to have this conversation because I have been breeding tiny business, big money, and there's just so much great information in here. And I see like for so many of the clients that we work with that there's kind of a, a trend of, you know, away from some of the bigger, you know, more established corporation type business models to smaller businesses, but can still be very profitable with fewer employees. And it's just like a new way of doing things I'm, I'm seeing on from my side of it. And so I'm so excited to get your thoughts and your insight here. It's a really exciting time, Jennifer, because there are so many new technologies that extend what one person can do. And the theme of both the million dollar one person business and tiny business, big money is efficiency really, right? And it's about uh, trying to leverage all your skills and talents using all the low cost and free tools available. And I think what we're seeing is now even in corporate, people are using things like chat GPT. I don't know if you saw Fortune had an article last week about an employer who said he was going to increase productivity goals by 30 to 40 times because he had content writers who were using ChatGPT and he felt like they had a lot of time on their hands. And I thought, well, who would want that job? <laughs> right? If your productivity is expected to go up 30 to 40 times. But what could be kind of fun is to go out and start your own business where you're using these tools and you're you're getting the fruits of your labor because generally in a traditional job, they're not going to pay you if you increase your productivity by that much, the equivalent amount. But in your own business, you could conceivably get paid the equivalent amount if you're offering enough value adds to your clients. Yeah, absolutely. And Elaine, how did you get started in this? I'm just very curious, your personal journey, journey that led you to writing these books and studying entrepreneurship. It's funny, I started out as a, um, a general assignment reporter, and I worked in Patterson and Jersey City, you know, covering uh, crimes, I covered the Hudson County Jail at one point. And then I kind of burned out on on the news because it really does get to you after a while. And I, I took a job that was kind of a fun one at Women's Wear Daily. I became a fashion features editor. And when I was there, I became friends with some fashion designers. And 
often they had brilliant ideas and they would be doing runway shows, but they didn't really understand the business side of things. And because of that, a lot of times their businesses didn't have sustainability and it was kind of a shame. So I got interested in learning more about the business side of things. And then I um, had an opportunity to join the staff of Success Magazine and write about entrepreneurship. And immediately I connected with entrepreneurs. Don't ask me why I just did. I loved talking with them. They were so much fun. They were so creative and had so much passion for what they did. And I, I kind of got hooked on it. I worked there for a few years and then I had the opportunity to join Fortune Small Business Online, which um, was the fledgling website of Fortune Small Business Magazine, part of the Fortune Group at Time Inc. And it was literally just me and one other person at the time. And Fortune.com was also the same thing. It was an editor and a web producer. And this was 1999. It took the web producer all day to post the story. That's how cumbersome that old content management systems were. And if I had to make a little change in the story because I made a typo or something, she wasn't happy because it was a big deal. <laughs> and, and this was, you know, not the early, early web, but pretty early web. And I found that the world was opening up. I was hearing from people all over the world. There was so much hunger for this information. And it was such a, an interesting area of business coverage. I just never lost my enthusiasm for it. So when I went freelance, I had four children. And after I had number three, I decided to go freelance. I decided to continue covering it. And in doing a blog that I've been doing for Forbes for many years, I noticed some Census Bureau statistics showing that the number of non-employer businesses, those with no employees, but the owner, not employees, but no payroll, basically, mm-hmm. that was going up. Th- those who had between one and 2.5 million in annual revenue. And to me, that was fascinating because I knew a lot about the subject and I was not coming across many businesses of that size that were getting to that revenue level. And and I put up a post about just the data and it went viral. I started hearing from people all over the place. It had something like 200,000 and change page views. And having written at that point, I've been at this a long time, thousands of articles. I never had that kind of pickup on any one subject. So I, I couldn't find out who the business owners were from the Census Bureau because census surveys are confidential. So I wrote to the readers of Forbes. I started doing a series about the different niches, like million dollar consultancies, for instance, and said, if you're one of these business owners, please write to me and tell me what you're doing because people really want to know. And then I did this other post. It was, um, it had Alan Walton, who ran an online spy camera shop, Dan Mezaritsky, a fitness trainer who was licensing his methodology to other fitness trainers, Rachel Charlupsky, she had a babysitting company. Peter Leeds was a financial planner who had a high-end newsletter. I'm leaving somebody out. There were basically five. And that one went even more viral. It had something like 335,000 page views. So I knew there was a lot of hunger about this and people wanted to know how to do it themselves, but it was kind of a new area. This was like 2012 or 2013. So every time I heard about one of these people, I would do an in-depth profile and I started to build up a body of knowledge about it. And that then an agent noticed that these posts kept going viral and suggested that I do a book in response to popular demand. And then this is, you know, the 
shameless plug, here's the book, right? The million dollar one person business that came out in 2018. I updated it in 2021. And in keeping in touch with these owners and updating the book, sometimes they would say to me, Elaine, I have to apologize. I hired one employee. I'm not one of your businesses anymore. And I'd say, no, I'm so happy for you that you did. Yeah. Because now you have the sustainability to do it. I feel like every business has its own natural size and that might change at different times in the life of that business. And what I, what I got interested in with Tiny Business Big Money is when they start to add a team, these businesses are not doing things the corporate way. They're doing it on a shoestring, bootstrapped budget. And they're coming up with their own best practices. Like maybe they don't have as many meetings because that's not so efficient. Maybe they're using a tool like Notion to manage the team or Slack or something else. And so I had the chance to do case studies of about 50 businesses and see how they're doing this so that other people can learn from them. And, you know, I'm a constant student of this. So hopefully I'll continue to learn even more. You know, and it's so fascinating to me because I I started my first business when I was eight. I don't think that was an official business, but it was a little apple stand because I was just like, I had this idea and I put it together and I created the little stand and I remember making money and I just fell in love with this idea of entrepreneurship. And you, when you went out on your own, like you've got the entrepreneur bug in, your, in there too, Elaine. So I'm not surprised that you're just like, you're fascinated by it, but you did it yourself when you went out and you said, I'm going to freelance and started to go out on your own. But like, even when I had my first software company, which was over, gosh, I don't even know, over 25 years ago, the way that you grew your business was you hired employees. It was just how you did it. And so uh, from there with my first company, and then I went into my second software company, which was again for a big $54 million corporation, which of course had employees. And so even that second time around when I grew my division revenues, in the corporate environment, the way that you grew it was by hiring employees. And so when I started my coaching practice, gosh, about a decade ago, I honestly was just super burned out on the whole employee thing. And just, it was just so expensive. And if you had to fire somebody who didn't do a good job and deserved to be fired, and then they come back and then they sue you and, you know, the employer gets screwed and it's just the whole thing. I was just like, I'm not doing it this time around in my coaching practice. And honestly, for my first few years, I was a one woman show. And I just that's what I wanted to be because I was just so burned out on the whole employee thing. But then as my my business started to grow, I needed more team members. And so I went the contractor route and I just would bring in a contractor to to do things that I needed to help me out. And I don't mean this to sound harsh, but like if they didn't do what I needed them to do, I could let them go without any drama or fanfare. I didn't have to deal with all the overhead, the taxes, the insurance, like I just didn't have to deal with a lot of those things. And I could just contract out these specific things that I needed. And and that's really how I've grown my company to seven figures is in the contractor model. We don't have, I'm the only employee of my corporation. And everybody on our team are 100% contract. And it's honestly been really a great model. I've loved it so much. And it's very interesting for me to hear like that seems to be a trend that you were seeing with with other business owners. Or let me ask you, I mean, is that kind of what they've done when they've needed help? They've gone more of the contractor route instead of the traditional employee route. 
I, I think a lot of them do go the contractor route. In, in the million dollar one person business, sometimes it was the occasional contractor or freelancer in tiny business, big money. These are people that the contractor is part of a recurring team. Maybe it's like a virtual assistant and they have some kind of a team meeting, but that person also has other clients and it isn't just serving mm-hmm. that one business because you can get into those areas of uh, labor laws too. So you right. have to be careful about that. And a lot depends on where the contractors are located. If they're overseas, the rules might be a little bit different, but to your larger point, Jennifer, I think we're leaving the world of work that was coercive into one that's much more voluntary. There's a, a Twitter feed that I follow and excuse uh, the reference, but it's called FU, I quit. And yeah. basically you've seen it. They share stories of ridiculous labor practices that are going on where workers are being abused. And I think it's not necessarily the people that work in these companies that are bosses that want to be abusive, but they're so bottom line driven. People are not put first. They do end up abusing people in many cases. And it's not a really pleasant relationship. Nobody really wants to be a boss in those companies and nobody wants to be an employee either. And that's why you have this whole issue right now, I think, with the a lot of jobs not getting filled, even though we might be in a recession. People just don't want to do it. And why? You know, maybe that model is is too dated. Maybe we need to move on to a new one. I think I think we do. And that's what we're seeing with these tiny businesses is they're evolving a new model in real time. I don't even think it's fully baked. I had a chance to talk with them at one moment in time, but I think in a year or two, we're going to see even more of how these businesses are leveraging contractors, new technologies, outsourcing, all in combination and anything else that comes along that's helpful to them. And maybe they have one or two employees where they used to have 10. And some people might say, well, that's bad because now we're not creating jobs. But my feeling is, no, we're not creating jobs, but we're creating businesses where individuals profit. They profit far more than they would in a job where the company keeps most of the profits. The company does take most of the risks, but now the risks are going down for the individual because there are so many tools to support us in running a business. You don't have to wear as many hats. For instance, I'm a terrible bookkeeper. So I use a company called Bench that does my bookkeeping. They're up to date, like up to April, you know, all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about having a bookkeeper on staff where maybe 15 years ago I would. Right that gives us some security because we have the team that we need without needing that kind of a budget. We, I mean, the flip side of it is I think what hasn't caught up is people manage their personal finances as if they were corporate workers. There's not a lot of support for the independent worker right. on that front. So in that area, we have to kind of learn as we go along, live below our means, keep more savings and We've been taught to and things like that so that we can sustain this lifestyle if unexpected things like COVID come out of left field or COVID followed by a recession or, you know, whatever it is, because you you get emotionally tired from constantly. We do have a lot of hustle as entrepreneurs, but there's only so much hustle, even the the greatest hustler (laughs) can have when you're constantly (laughs) being hit from things. So the only insulation you have is being careful about how you use your whatever resources you have 
Yeah. And I think we're learning that too, but that I think that area of knowledge isn't as well developed. I agree completely. That's one of the things. So most of my team, and I'm trying to think of all of them, but all, it might even be all of my team, um, they are business owners. And so they contract with us for our services that we need, but then they have their own businesses. And as a business coach, you know, when they join our team, of course, I'm like, guys, I want you to do a good job for us, but I have to look out for you and your business as well. And that's one thing that I've had to coach them on is you're coming in as a contractor, you have your own business, but you've got to make sure that you're managing that stuff that when you had had a corporate job, it would have been managed for you automatically through like, you know, withholding as, a, as an employee and things like that for your taxes. And a great tool we've used is Profit First. And so we, I use it for my own business. I coach my clients on it. But then even our contractors, our team who are business owners, it's like, guys, use Profit First to set yourself up because when you're getting your invoices paid, it's not where it stops. Like you have to really make sure you're withholding, you've got enough, you know, for tax that you're the right business entity that you're taking care of yourself. So that's one thing that I have noticed that sometimes it's like, oh, I'll be a contractor and I'll just bill and I'll get all my money. But then it's like, hey guys, but then you're still going to get taxed. <laughs> you know, it's going to come back around and you do need to make sure that you have savings and stuff and those kinds of resources. And so Profit First has been a really good tool for us. But you know, I agree with you completely of just learning how to kind of navigate and manage manage through that, I think is so very important. Well, what you're saying is, I think an important point too, is that collectively, there's a lot of knowledge sharing. You know, you're working with these contractors, they're serving you, but you want them to be sustainable. You don't want them to go out of business or have a tax problem because then they can't help you with your business Yep. And so that's what I found. There's a lot of knowledge sharing going on through podcasts, webinars, all kinds of things that are helping to add to this whole pool of knowledge that's causing the number of these businesses to grow. And mm -hmm. there isn't really a class on it. So it's, it's you know, that kind mm -hmm. of experience of working with a client like you is really valuable. Oh, it is. And I can even see their businesses growing because they come into our organization, they're able to see what we're doing, learn from us, and then even take that knowledge into their own business, which we have to be careful of. But, you know, there's no way for our team, because we're always learning, we're always growing, we're always trying to streamline, be more efficient, like they're just going to learn all together. And then I, you know, I want them to take that into their own businesses so that they can be successful there too. But it's really kind of a beautiful thing when it all works the way that it, it can. It's a really beautiful thing where everybody can kind of help each other. And then we're all, we're all rising up together. I agree. And it's funny because sometimes people say, isn't it isolating to have a one person business or isn't it selfish? And the fact is they all seem to know each other. That's what I find independent of <laughs> me or you or anyone else. It's like they so they find each other and mm -hmm. they're very much part of a group, even though they're not yeah. under one roof in one company. Just because survival, it depends on that. You really yeah. need that knowledge of other people, whether it's you know just hiring an accountant to do your taxes in the beginning or being part of an entrepreneurship group. We, we all need that. Yeah, we really do. And even in my earlier days when I was a solo one-woman show in my coaching practice, it, it was kind of lonely. 
Um, I was just like, I wasn't really part of a team. I was working with my clients all day long, but I, I didn't really have a team. And I remember taking a contract gig. I was a hired gun, you know, business coach for the Forbes Council and YEC. And I went in and it gave me some access to some other coaches and another organization where I kind of felt like I was part of a team, even though I still had my coaching practice. But now that we've grown and I have my team, I don't feel isolated anymore because I have that team. But when you have a one-person business, it it's a real thing. It can feel isolating. And even now, some of the coaches on our team who still have their own coaching practices, I'm finding it's just such a nice balance. They can feel like part of a team when they're working with us, and then they can still be solo in their own businesses. And again, it's just sort of a beautiful thing and a, a very new and different way, I think, of doing business and making it be a win-win for everybody. I know it's interesting where it's like we come together, then we pull apart, then we come together. In, in Tiny Business, Big Money, I did a survey, and I think it was 45% of the uh, seven-figure owners belonged to some type of entrepreneurship group, and 37% had a business coach. And I think there's a reason for that. And it's not just the, the um, hard skills and knowledge that you pick up, but it's it's the community of other people who are in it together doing the same thing, maybe something that doesn't get a lot of social reinforcement, right? You have your corporate friends who are going on their two-week vacation to Aruba and you start to <laughs> feel like you're crazy because you didn't go on vacation and you're putting the money into right. the business, but then you're around a whole bunch of other people who are doing the same thing you are and you realize, no, I'm not alone in doing this. I'm not crazy. I just have a different vision for how I'd like to lead my life. It's one of the most important things that I hear of clients who come into our coaching practice is their friends or their family just don't get them because they're not entrepreneurs. And building a business is, it's a very different thing. It's a tough thing. You're kind of expected to have all the answers. And as you grow your team and everybody's looking to you for those answers. And so sometimes they don't feel like understood or heard at the family and friend level. And so I'm not surprised at all to hear they have business coaches, they belong to an entrepreneur group, right? Because you feel like there are other people who get it and you're not alone in this journey. And I don't know, there's something about feeling like you're not alone that just makes you feel, you know, more collect, more, um, more as part of a, a community. Definitely. And some of them have coaches that aren't really formal coaches. They're, I would say, peer coaches, like a yeah. friendly competitor sometimes or just a friend who's in business as well. And yeah. that goes a long way. Yeah. Elaine, when you were writing these books, was there anything else that was very, I would love to hear like what's maybe surprised you the most as you were writing these books about entrepreneurship in general? What surprised me the most was how possible it was to get to seven figures across multiple industries. When I first started out, I thought, oh, they'll all be in e-commerce. But actually... The biggest group is professional services. Maybe one quarter of them are in professional services, which is counterintuitive because people always say it's trading time for dollars and that sort of thing. But what they're doing is professional services with a spin where maybe they're productizing some of their knowledge. You know, they're creating systems out of what they do in their business and selling that or creating a course. I once attended a webinar, it was these two attorneys when I was writing for creditcards.com a lot, and it, uh, there was a change in credit card law. And these two attorneys were the leading experts on this change, which was very hard to understand. 
and everybody needed to know it. So I, I have to pay maybe $250 to go on this webinar and learn about it for the article. Well, there were 600 people on the call and they were doing another one in a few days. And they, I'm sure, had some overhead with the webinar company and promoting it, but there's no way they could have seen that many people in their office on an hourly basis. So they were scaling their impact. And that was accessible to people that may or may not have been web savvy. There's lots of helpers out there, but they were able to monetize their knowledge in a whole new way. And I think there are a lot of people now that have knowledge that maybe isn't so sexy, but it's necessary. And they can package that up and add new revenue streams to their business. And that, to me, that's um, very surprising and exciting because you always think it's going to be like the next Tim Ferriss or something, you know, like that's who can productize, but it's not, it's, 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 it's a lot of different people with professional knowledge. It's so amazing. And Elaine, you and I actually first met at the She Leads conference last year. Um, Adrian Garland put on the She Leads conference and you were on one of the panels there and I was a speaker there. And I remember that somebody, and I don't remember who it was, but somebody during the conference had mentioned that less than 5% of all businesses ever even get to the seven figure mark. And then less than 2% of those are women. And I remember sitting in the audience and learning about your books and thinking, what? Like, I had no idea. And I went home and I actually Googled the stats to verify, like, are those really the stats? Because um, I had, had been, I have had three businesses now that have crossed that seven figure mark. And I literally was a little naive here. I think I was just like, well, isn't that what everybody does? Like, that's what I did. So of course, I just assume that's what everybody else has done too. But actually, that's not the case. And it's a very small percentage of people who cross that seven figure mark and an even smaller percentage of women who cross that mark. And so when you did this research and you started to see so many businesses who were crossing the seven figure mark, I'm just curious, like, did that surprise you or were there anything, not just did it surprise you, but were there any things that you saw consistently that these people who were crossing this barrier were doing that you saw any consistencies there? Oh, definitely. The number one was they hire contractors. So they're not doing all the work of the business themselves. A hundred percent in my survey hired contractors. That's a step for people. Sometimes people are used to the employee mindset where the company pays for everything, whether it's professional development or a helper. You have to invest in yourself. And that that sometimes takes some confidence that you have enough money coming into the business to do it. But when they get to that point, they actually do do it. Um, and 90% are using automation Automation doesn't necessarily mean AI or something like that. It could be a scheduling app, but they're using it frequently. And usually it's a little more sophisticated than that to the point where maybe they would hire someone to help them get set up with some of this stuff because it takes some time. Like I have this AI program I have to look at this afternoon and I might ask my daughter who's in computer science to take a look at it. You know, <laughs> that's it doesn't have to be someone. I mean, my daughter actually works in the business, but you could hire somebody to help you with things like that because otherwise you'll be sitting there all afternoon when you could be doing something else in the business that's bringing in revenue. And and then outsourcing was another consistent theme, less common because it's not always necessary, but for somebody who's doing e-commerce, for instance, using Fulfilled by Amazon 
is better mm-hmm. than packing up the boxes in your basement. Sometimes people in the beginning have to pack the boxes, but they make that transition. And right. it's all about thinking like an entrepreneur, thinking scalably, thinking that you are the most precious resource of the business. And you really need to leverage what only you can do. This is not new stuff, but they're doing it in conjunction with these new tools that are coming out that really weren't available. When you when you think about it, think about cloud computing. Years ago, people would talk to me about how they had to raise capital because they needed a server. And I remember at one point speaking with a venture capitalist who said he was having trouble finding deals because nobody needed as much money anymore because of all these cloud-based tools. Well, that's a tremendous democratizing factor now. And now we have ChatGPT, which we're just learning how to use. Uh, no doubt other tools are going to come out like that. And some people are like, robots are going to take our jobs. I don't believe that. Maybe they'll take mm-hmm. some jobs, but I think it's going to empower people to build upon it and lean into the things that only humans can do. And your own business is the ideal place to do it because of what I talked about in, in traditional jobs. Do we really want to be asked to 40 times our product, production? I mean, that seems stressful, really. So, But in your own business, that's kind of an exciting thing because are you going to 40 times your profits? <laughs> then, <laughs> then it becomes attractive. And, and that's right. where we are now. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, even with the chat GPT, we just had a training last week from one of our contractors actually on our team, who's half my age. And I'm like, will you please teach me how to use this? Because I'm hearing all this great stuff about it. Don't worry, you guys, it still needs a human to run it. It really and truly does. Like you still have to proof it and and massage it and make it work right. But I love the increased productivity because if it can, our goal is to put out a higher quality product with less people time. And if we can do that, then it's a win for everybody. But I just, I love, thank you so much for sharing those consistencies and things that you were seeing when you started to kind of really research this topic because it's, it's entirely possible to grow your business these days in a different way, but it requires you to think differently and think outside the box and really be focused on things like, you know, productivity and streamlining. And I love what you said, Elaine, you said, very, very important for everybody listening. Look at the things that only you really should be doing in your business, because the people who have been very successful in this model, I think were able to look and go, you know what, I shouldn't be doing everything in my business. What are the things where I need to be focused and then outsource the other roles that you frankly just shouldn't be doing? And, it, and I'm hearing that that's a big part of what's made them successful in their business. Oh, definitely. I, I mean, a lot of it is about changing old mindsets about work because so many of the practices that are in play right now go back to the industrial era. And now we're well into the digital era and things like how many hours you worked on something. Does that really matter if the result is great, right? Ideally, we would be working less. Like maybe you should pay the employee for the end result. Maybe you shouldn't pay them by the hour. You know, the, yeah. I think that's what these entrepreneurs are doing is questioning these things. Maybe there are some scenarios where you should and some where you shouldn't. And if you aren't able to question those things, I don't think you'll maximize your business. And I think that's where working with a coach to think very creatively 
is so important because things are really changing by the minute. Like you could put systems in place. You were talking about profit first, which is a very flexible system that seems to be adapting year by year to changing conditions. But there will be some things that you can add on next year that will make your business even more capital efficient. That's, That's what these businesses are. They're very capital efficient. They run on a shoestring. They run on usually... The, the savings of somebody who had a salary, not somebody who had, you know, a rich backer of some sort pouring right. money in. And I think that's why they're the best operators on the planet because they've had to be resourceful. They don't have money to burn through. They're, they're only using money and time and resources on things that really need them. Yeah. And it makes you think differently. When you're spending your salary that you saved and you worked hard for to start your new business, you're going to spend that money very differently than here's a loan, here's the bank's money, here's some VC's money. You're just going to spend it differently. At least that's what I've seen in my business and even with my clients that I've worked with. I agree. It's very different than I think a traditional startup that raises money, often they're under pressure to hire a lot Mm -hmm. of people to spend their marketing budget by the uh, investors because they want an exit on a certain schedule. And what they have found in their portfolio is you need to do this, this, and this. But that isn't necessarily that sustainable. If you were spending at that pace over the life of a business that you wanted to keep running for the next 25 years, I don't know that that's the most efficient way to do it. It's the most efficient way for the investors to get an exit. And these businesses that I'm talking about, some of them do go on to raise traditional capital, but they have a long period up front where they're really running it as efficiently as possible. Yeah, yeah, I love it. You guys, I know that we are helping Elaine so many people right now. Even just this conversation with you, it's got my gears turning and I'm just like, oh, I'm already thinking of new things that I can do in my business. So thank you so much, Elaine, for being here with me today. Um, I would love for those of you who want to go deeper um, into Elaine's books, would you mind sharing where everybody can find you and where they can actually buy your books and dive deeper on this subject? Oh, sure. And thank you, Jennifer. I the, Probably the best ways to reach me are through social media. So I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook under my full name, which is in the show notes, Elaine Pofeld. It's a hard one to spell and frequently misspelled. So uh, double check if you can't find me. Um, or on Instagram at milliondollaronepersonbusiness.com. And the most recent book, Tiny Business, Big Money, and my original book, The Million Dollar One Person Business, are available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, major booksellers. And I hope you'll write to me, especially if you've read the books. I love getting feedback. It really makes me a better journalist. A lot of my articles on this subject appear on Forbes. So that's another place to keep up with the latest profiles of the million dollar one person businesses and tiny businesses that that make big money. There's an upcoming story um, coming out on Jennifer and her methodology that I'll send her a link to that she can share with her followers. But um, this has been great, Jennifer. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to have you here. And I can't wait to see the art, the link for me. So that's super exciting because I haven't seen it yet either. So I'm very excited to see that. But Elaine, thank you. I know this is just a really important topic. And I, I hope for those of you listening that you, if you need to go back and re-listen because there were so many great 
tidbits and, and truth bombs throughout the show that, well, my hope is that will get you thinking differently in your business, maybe in a way that you didn't and maybe step out of some of that old thinking and realize that, you know, in today's digital age, like there's so many different ways that we can do things as business owners. So that's my hope for each and every one of you. Elaine, thank you again for being here with me. I appreciate it so much. And that's it for today's show, you guys. Now get out there and have a happy, productive day. Bye. Thank you. I hope you found today's episode of the Happy Productive Podcast inspiring. Every successful business is formed by a set of small, consistent, and attainable steps. If you want to learn more, come visit us at jenniferdawncoaching.com to take your next step and learn how to meet your business goals. On our website, you're going to find free resources along with links to the life-changing coaching programs that have transformed the lives of so many of our clients, including the Coaching Academy and our Unbreakable Retreats. Many of them started their journey by listening to this podcast. That's it. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for our next episode. This is the She Leads Podcast Network.